The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. You have landed on the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. Mr. Craig Hill has a well-deserved day off. Today is his birthday. Happy birthday, Craig. He'll be back with us tomorrow. In about an hour, we'll introduce you to a young couple who decided to build a boat and sail the world. I'm jealous. I bet you will be, too. Uh, this hour, Bill Ostrander, on the other hand, wonders about the future of the world. He joins us now for what promises to be a very interesting and stimulating conversation. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Yeah, we always welcome a conversation with you, even though we want to talk about uh, creating a sustainable economy, overconsumption, climate change, and all the problems facing the world right now, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so wh- what triggered this, Bill? You reached out to me. You wanted to talk about this. What's on your mind? Well, you know, I think that we're at kind of an interesting nexus point, which I think is giving us an opportunity, or it demands that, or requires rather, even that we rethink maybe our strategies for our growth. What what our economies are always uh, built on the idea of of infinite growth, and we're kind of seeing this interesting nexus point where you're seeing China's population is declining, and China is now considering, well, not not now considering, they have relinquished that program of only one child, and it was two children, and now they're actually okay with having three children, because they're they're fearful that by the year 2100, their population is going to decline from 1.4 billion to about 780 million. And for the rest of us, we kind of think about you know, not necessarily China alone, but thinking about the world's population and the huge demands on our natural resources. So in the United States, we live very comfortably. Not everybody is is so fortunate in the world. And if everybody in the world were to live with the same amount of consumption that we use in the United States, we would need almost five, the resources of five Earths to sustain us for our natural resources and for place to get rid of our waste. So there's an interesting opportunity here, I think, to start rethinking what our how our economy is measured and what are the important metrics in our economy. But is it too late? Has it ever reached the tipping point? Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting question, but I, I don't think that we want to assume that. I think we have to say, uh, even if the ship is going down, we've got to bail out the water, you know, in hopes that we find a rescue where we're able to, to uh, you know, plug the hole. Um, I don't tend to be pessimistic in that way or cynical. I tend to think that, you know, we have opportunities here, but it really requires some forward thinking and some conversation around, you know, infinite growth, constant uh, uh, consumption of the Earth's resources. Uh, How do we measure our economy? And then that leads into all sorts of other questions. Like, for example, one of the reasons that China is so concerned about its population cutting is half is, is because it has a disproportionate level of retirees and older people who require Social Security and, and, and care and, you know, uh, incomes even when they're not working. And so there's this desire that we have 
to keep the top of the the, the demographic, you know, uh, stabilized by having enough younger workers. But at the same time, if we continue to to inflate the number of people that we have in the world, and there's projections that will be over 11 billion by 2100, that we simply do not have enough resources. You think about right now, oil will last less than 50 years. Right. Um, natural gas and coal both have short lifespans. Fish, they're figuring right now that we have basically enough seafood to last us about 24 more years. We're right now... We are down to about 28% of the world's natural wild forests that remain. Uh, we're getting rid of an area about the size of, of New Jersey just in the month of January of forests by either burning or cutting them down. This is unsustainable. And yet yeah. our economists are looking at these things and going, well, we just need more population because that brings in um, more people like Madame Curie or Albert Einstein who help us solve the world's problems. So we, we have this idea, this romantic idea, that we're going to be able to invent our way out of this, that technology will rescue us. But it just simply isn't so. And I think we need to take stock of, of how we're consuming our resources and things that we don't even really need, but what, for example. Don't we have to have that example on an international level? Because we talk about climate change, and I always hear the argument, Bill, well, it's not enough for the United States to do something because China and India aren't going to do anything. Well, you have to address each country's issues separately. But first of all, the United States has the ability uh, to invent and to pay for the newest techniques in Earth-saving technologies. You're not going to find that kind of innovation in many of the world's developing countries where they're simply trying to feed their population. You know, Or if you think about you know, India, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's something close to 800 million people in the world that still don't have electricity. So when you're talking about countries like India and you say, well, you know, they're going to keep polluting. Well, they may be, but the United States is the second largest polluter in the world, first of all. And if we're able to cut down our carbon footprint to reduce the our consumption of goods, we may also develop techniques that allow countries like India or some of our developing nations to use resources more wisely or not cut down their rainforests like in in Brazil and perhaps provide energy sources that are more renewable and sustainable. So we have to show the way. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example. This is a little, little thing, but I wonder if people really think about it, how comfortable we are and whether or not we need certain things. Like my son, he's he's 23 years old. He's got a 2019 pickup truck, and he goes to the gym like four or five days a week, and yet he's got a little button that lowers the tailgate on his truck. Now, these are little things, but is that really something that we need to draw the Earth's resources for and power and then in a few years just toss it because it's now junk? Is that is that really what we need? Do we need vehicles that weigh 3,500 pounds to carry our 180 pounds bodies or whatever people's average weight is to, to propel those along a road? Do we need to leave the lights on all night long just because there's 20 seconds we walk out from our house or 20 seconds we walk in from the car? We, we, we just mindlessly sort of take on, uh, you know, or consume all of this kind of stuff without really thinking about what is the cost of that and can this be sustained? And who provides the leadership here? Is it government or is it people? Well, or a combination? You know, that's an interesting question because everybody is going to have something which they feel like they can't live without. I remember being on your show not that long ago, and we were talking to somebody about gas 
powered blowers or something and, and generators. And this guy was talking about how when he went up to Oregon, he wanted to be able to watch movies in his trailer while he's camping in his trailer. I mean, there's just a lack of consciousness about it because it's not something that we've really talked about. And our economy is is built on the on the idea of consumption. I think 70 percent of our of our economy is based on consumer spending, right? But these are the kinds of things that we need to start implementing and looking at. And government has an important part in this to play, but so do I think is the individual consumer. So what are the differences? So you'd think, for example, in housing, we have a thing called Title 24. Title 24 was intended to make sure that people weren't building, for example, a huge glass house that was totally energy inefficient because that requires more energy to heat and cool that house or light the house on an already overtaxed grid. Okay, well, that's great. We did the Title 24. Um, but then people just built bigger houses. So yep. did we really? how much did we really save? Well, something. But there's a personal investment in there. So yep. from my point of view, and I'll get a lot of you know calls about this, I'm sure, I think you should put a higher tax, a consumption tax, on people that build homes over 2,500 square feet. All right, we're in conversation with Bill Ostrander, North County. Jim weighs in on KVEC. Hey, Jim. Uh, hello, David. Hi, Jim. Bill. Bill. Hi, Jim. Uh, well, you got to get rid of the stock market then, Bill. You want to save the planet, that's where it's all started. It's all about Why consumption, and these corporations want to make profits for the investors, and the investors are the consumer, and the consumer is the one that's buying the oversized home. And then you have construction issues. You know, you're not allowed to make a, 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 an adobe house, let's say, in the desert like they used to make, two-foot, three-foot big walls because of uh, whatever other issue of earthquakes or whatever safety issues. You're obligated. Contractors are obligated to use all kinds of synthetic products, including lumber. So if you went back to Adobe and brick like they did in Europe and most of the countries in South America, you'd save a lot of issues. But the consumer is responsible for the stock market. If they consume, investors invest. They want good returns on their money. And there you go. So I understand what he's, Bill, I understand what he's saying. We seem to be creating the problem with our own desires, our own greed. We want, we want all this stuff. Well, I think that's true. I don't entirely agree with him about the stock market, but I understand his point. I also understand something about the building issues that he's talking about. So let me first start by saying that to me, many of the world's issues today are built on the, the, the basis of are, are evolutionarily successful techniques that are no longer necessary, like hoarding. Like if you were, you know, 10,000 years ago, and you know winter's coming, you hoard in order for you to get through the wintertime. We don't require that so much anymore. There's also about laziness, you know, or about conserving energy. Now you get people to drive their car to the gym and park in the spot as close as they can to the gym and then go in and work out. Yeah. There's a lot of thoughtfulness right. that has to come back into how we live. All right. As far as the, as far as the houses are concerned, the trade-off there is, is I was just down in Fort Myers, Florida, where I saw all the destruction. The homes that were built without all the extra measures were blown down and flooded the homes they had the latest engineering techniques tended to stay but those take a lot of resources you know to build initially and a lot of cost but if they if they if they are able to to get through a, a natural disaster like that was it a good investment 
probably it was. So let's go back so to Jim. Those are the trade-offs. Jim, what else? Well, I still I think that Bill, you got to look at the market. The consumer is being teased every day to buy stuff. So it's all about we're, we're, we 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 agree with that. The only place that I'm I'm differing from you or taking small exception, Jim, and thank you for your yeah. call, is that technology can also be an incredible help in reducing our consumption of resources. And our stock market right. isn't always about product. So one of the things that's helpful and it can grow in these kind of economies are service-type industries, which don't require an enormous consumption of natural resources because they're service-based. All right, well, okay, I agree. The yeah. only thing is to yeah. go back and look at the Roman the Romans' history. There's still aqueducts that the Romans built. Why is sure. construction following that, that line of, of, of development? Because they need to sell material. It's all about investment, Bill. You live in a third-world country, you see the difference. People are a lot more frugal than they are here. All right, Even Jim. New migrants. Thank right. you for weighing in. Any other comment for Jim, Bill? Well, I, I'm glad that, that we're you know developing a conversation around around that because you know that's what it's going to require to start rethinking what we what we use as a metric for a successful life for a for a comfortable private life and for a um, and for the how to measure a successful economy going forward. There are some countries that are doing better at uh, renewables and sustainable economies than the United States. A lot of the Nordic countries, Sweden, etc., etc., uh, Norway, are using more of their products, more of their natural resources, more efficiently than we use in the United States. We rank about 30th in the world in terms of resource efficiencies. On the Stahlberg-Tatum text line, Amen, Bill Ostrander, exclamation mark. Now, if we can only convince the rest of the world or even the residents of the U.S. to wake up and pay attention. Well, I think that, our, you know, just talking to our neighbors and ourselves, you know, to have those kind of conversations is the biggest place to start because we as as Americans tend to consume more per capita than any other country on the planet. And it's kind of interesting how subtle it is. I'll give you a small example. I have a friend, wonderful lady. She's going to know that I'm talking about her on the radio right now. She has this incredible desire to be neat all the time and and make a good impression. And every year, she rakes the leaves in her yard, knowing full well that those leaves are nutrients that could go back in the soil. But, you know, little, you know, personal issues like that get in the way. My wife doesn't see terribly well at night. She wants the lights left on. I say, honey, let's turn the light on our phone, or I'll go in the house first and turn the light on as you're, before you get out of the car. There are things like that. I know that sounds silly, but we need to start rethinking you know, about uh, our economies and the cons- and the consumption we have and thinking in terms of sustainability. Also on the Stolberg-Tatum text line, oh, great, another progressive scheme to tax and burden the citizens of the U.S. to save the world. It seems that all the save the world ideas are attempting to take our nation backwards. <laughs> you know, well, that's his opinion or her opinion. I don't, I don't know. But if taking the world backwards means, once again, having, you know, large areas of forested and conserved land and a greater species population, et cetera, et cetera, I'm all for that. But I don't think that means that we have to regress intellectually or emotionally. We can do those things and be progressive. The very idea of being progressive is to have an objective truth that says that our lives can be better 
if we try, choose this, because the data shows us that that's the better path to take. And that kind of piggybacks on this last text before the news break on the Stolberg-Tatum line. Isn't uh, what your guests saying what progressives have been saying all along? Well, again, I don't tend to use the word progressive in a partisan-type fashion. I tend to think of progressive as recognizing that if I do A and B, and it equals a better outcome for me, then that's a step that I want to take. That doesn't have to be partisan. That's just progressive in terms of your thinking. I mean, you know, you could use it in political ways. Was it progressive to give women the right to vote? Was it progressive to give Native Americans American citizenship? Was it progressive to add streetlights? You know, those are all different types of progressive ideas, but they're not necessarily partisan. So then, Bill, does the argument become that we want our listeners to think about the I'm not meaning carbon footprint, but just the overall footprint we make on a daily basis and to rethink that footprint and the impact that we're having on all sorts of things, the environment, energy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Take stock of it. Yes, of course. Because even though right now there's a great amount of investment emotionally in technology is going to save us, and we think about the, the climate as simply air pollution or the earth warming, but along with that comes, you know, the species uh, uh, of animals and plants that are, that are diminishing at the rapid rate. We're in the sixth great mass extinction of animals. We have 28% of, you know, the original world forest, wild forest left. And how many of our cures to disease have come from plants found only in certain areas of the world, like the rainforests? So, yeah, it's something that we have to become conscious of. We can't do without a footprint. We'll always have a footprint. But how do we mitigate? How do we minimize that footprint so that we're not overly consumptive people, just assuming that there's an infinite amount of resources? On the Stolberg tatum text line, Rochelle checks in. Hi, Rochelle. I'll summarize this. Uh, sounds like this is an argument for closing the border. More than 5 million people are streaming into this country. That puts pressure on our resources. Well, once again, that's not that's not what I'm trying to say at all. But when you talk to economists, economists look at lower population as potentially a bad thing for a country. So immigration is actually encouraged in many countries so that they can have a larger workforce to keep the, the older people in the country working, to have the, the innovation that comes along with more brains thinking about a problem, and a, a greater economy that usually gives benefits to everyone. So immigration is actually a very positive thing as seen around the world today. Right. Now, the but, problem is immigration on. sometimes overwhelms us. Yeah. Hang on, Bill. I don't want to get overwhelmed by the news. Bill Ostrander is here calling for us to create a sustainable economy, at least in this country, if not on an international level. We've got news and traffic and weather. We'll take more of your phone calls, have more conversation with Bill. Stay with us. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio. So we are in conversation with Bill Ostrander. He is concerned. He says it's time to create a so-called sustainable economy. 
basically, we have finite resources. We have too many people. And we're not acting responsibly. And if we don't make changes now as a planet, as a country, as an individual, uh, there are going to be consequences. You want to join us? We'd love to hear from you. Phone lines are open 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. And Bill, as we continue, I think that's a fair question to follow up on. What are the consequences of doing nothing? Well, uh, you know, which one of our resources we'll give out first is probably water, uh, fresh water, maybe one of the first things that goes away. Um, and to make that sort of regionally uh, profound, you think about the situation in, in Paso Robles, the water basin there. We talked about this when I had the luxury of hosting while you were away one time, I think back in, in September, where we talked to people about the, the Paso Robles water basin, where you have 40,000 acres of grapes that are planted, and all those grapes require about 25 inches of rainfall a year. And we all know that the Paso Robles averages about 14 inches of rainfall a year. They haven't had that amount of rainfall in 17 growing seasons, and yet we continue to pump out. And then there's a concern, on the other hand, that if the grapes go away, we'll lose 900 and uh, almost 1,000 jobs out of the economy and about a half a billion dollars. So these are real problems that we need to be looking at, and that's something on a personal level. If you look, if you go, California passed a law a number of years ago uh, requiring people to use water-saving toilets and, and, and water-saving showerheads. What's the last time you went to a hotel and they used a water-saving showerhead? Or how many people use them in their homes? I, have, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in construction. I don't see it happening hardly at all. And yet we're in one of the worst droughts in 1,200 years. And the city of Corcoran, is my understanding, has sunk approximately 11 feet because the water table has been overdrafted for so long that the soils are collapsing. And that's happened actually in Arizona in right. many places, too. So let's take some good calls. Examples. Let's take some calls. We've got Sandra in Aurora Grand on KVC. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Dave. Well, we're getting, turn your radio down. Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Hi. So, you know... The consequence, I don't understand. We, we are, we're always reacting to things instead of being proactive. And we do that in everything. You know how much water ran off into the ocean? Uh, we could have saved that water, but we don't want to invest in our infrastructure. Uh, we need to invest in everything, not just water. We need to invest in power, different sources of energy. Uh, it, it's time we get real. We can't, we can't be doing this to ourselves. What do you say to that, Bill? Well, I agree with you. I think that's. I, I think it's great. And the, the the this conversation was really just intended to have a discussion to create awareness and to get people to think about what you know they're consuming and how much we waste and at what cost that is to the environment. Yeah, but Sandra, are you wanting to have your taxes paid to build this infrastructure and make all these repairs you want? I'll raise your taxes for you. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that is going to take money. We can't. We can't expect just uh, you know things to just happen. We have to invest in it. I, I don't mind paying my taxes. I just want accountability. I want my tax dollars to be well spent. I want somebody to be responsible with those tax dollars. I don't want like all this nonsense. But the problem is the environmentalists get in the way because think about trying to build a dam. They'll come up with some stupid lizard that needs survival or like some <laughs> sort of. 
you know, Indian artifact that they find, and it just gets tied up in the course, and nothing ever gets done. Right, so well, the same people that claim to protect the environment are the ones destroying it in the long run. All right, we'll talk about that. Sandra, thanks for having an opinion. What do you think about that, Bill? We can blame the environmentalists. Um, I think that there are times when weaponization is of the environment is used for nimbyism. I don't think that your general generic conservationist is simply trying to destroy the earth or create tying it up in court. But I do think there is there are situations where environmental laws can be abused by both sides of whether it's a builder, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's nimbyism, whether it's a community, because they don't want to see additional growth. All right, we've got Ron in Aurora Grande. Hi, Ron. Hi, Dave. How Hi, Ron. are you? Good. Um, I, I have a question here. Uh, your guest after the news uh, talked about the uh, aquifer in uh, Paso Robles and how they need, you know, 20-some inches of rain for all the acreage of uh, vineyards and, and all of this. But I could be wrong. Uh, I think the only aquifer up in our central coast that after all the drought that we had last year was the only one that was in good condition. Is that correct? I don't know the answer to that. Do you, Bill? Well, I, I, I'm going to take a, a leap of faith that I have an, I understand what he's saying. The aquifer underpass of Robles is supposed to only, it, it's, it refills to the tune of about 61,000 acre feet of water a year. <laughs> and we are supposed to not exceed that. But last year, the groundwater basin in Paso Robles was exceeded by 20,000 acre-feet of water. One acre-foot of water is the equivalent of one football field a foot deep in water. So imagine 20,000 football fields, an acre deep, in, or I mean a foot deep in water, were overdrafted in the gra- groundwater basin in Paso Robles. Right. But did that, did, did, as I recall, and, you know, I'm just a layperson, and I just occasionally see things in the news, but the uh, Paso Robles aquifer uh, was not threatened by all the drought we had up until we started getting this rain. I don't think that that's true. There's been a tremendous amount of fighting going on in Paso Robles to figure out a plan so that the water is is divided uh, sensibly to maintain in a, uh, the economic environment of the wine-growing region and tourism. But at the same time, there's over 400 families that have lost access to their wells because the water table has been drawn down so far. And now, we, and I'm not telling you that that basin is in jeopardy immediately, but we are overdrafting it, and it is dropping precipitously. Yeah, all right. Um, I, one other thing is just that it's, it, it, and I understand it. It's always because we have the ability to change things here in our own uh, locale, our own state, our own nation. But, you know, in India and in uh, China and in so many of the other countries, uh, especially the forests, I, I don't think uh, the forests that we're talking about being depleted is necessarily in the United States. I think it's in the rest of the world. Yeah. And, I understand how, yes, you have to do something, but what is happening is is that the people in the United States are bearing the burden of right. people not doing things in the rest of the world. And, uh, Ron, I thank you for that call because, Bill, that's exactly the point I raised earlier this hour about climate change, is that we're supposed to be doing our part, but in China and India, they're not.
Well, that's not exactly fair or true. Don't forget that, first of all, we are about less than 5% of the world's population, but we're using 19% of the world's energy resources. We are the second greatest polluter in the country, in the world. We used to have many, 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 many thousands of acres, millions of acres of forested land, but we cut it down 100 to 150 years ago to make room for farmland, which now many of these other countries are simply trying to do. And it's unfair for us to be able to say, well, we did it, sure. It was fine then, but it's not fine today, so you guys can't do it. All right, 805-543-8830 for Bill Ostrander. Greg is in Cayuca. Hey, Greg. Hey, I just want to concur with Bill. We can't pat ourselves on the back as if we haven't been, uh, you know, uh, guilty of of, uh, raping and pillaging the environment. Bill, you kind of opened your your uh, your uh, segment today talking about population, or at least I heard that. And isn't that really the issue? Uh, I mean, if we do not get a handle on this population of this planet, we have no no future. Wouldn't you agree? Well, yes and no. And I'll tell you the reasons why, and this is why it becomes complex. The carbon footprint grows with every new body put on the planet. But at the same time, there is a sustainable number of people on the planet. And when we have more people, the argument goes that we have more innovation and that we have stronger economies. We can... If we all lived as people did in Brazil, as an example, there is enough resources renewed every year to make use of just less than one planet. But at the levels of consumption that we're using in the United States today and in most Western countries, we need almost two Earths to support that. And some would say that down the road by 2030, when we have 5.6 billion consumers, if we all lived as we did in Western-style countries, that it would be five Earths that we need. So, yes, but you're right, but there are mitigating circumstances even within that. Yeah. And part of this conversation needs to be that we need to recognize that it's not simply the earth is overheating. It's not simply that there's too many people, that there is an entire balance to the planet, which I think there was a movie many years ago called Kayana Squatsi, which means life out of balance. I think of the environment kind of like if you've ever turned wood in a lathe. If you turn wood in a lathe, there becomes a point where it's in perfect balance. But if you nick it, or if you add something to it, it becomes out of balance and it has to be reshaped again. The Earth is out of balance right now, and I think that's part of the the fear, the the, the scary part, because we don't necessarily know where the next uh, shoe is going to drop yeah. or how fast other um, uh, uh, species are going to die out. Greg, you know, and, ex- excellent points. I just, you know, you you mentioned Brazil, and I have to say, but what about the Amazon? Look what they're right. doing in that country, you know, and and right. so I I, t- I take all your points uh, very well, and you're you're making just brilliant points here, and I wish the world would listen. I really do. We're glad Thank you're you. listening, Greg. Thank you very much. On the Stolberg Tatum text line, listener wants you to know, Bill, that showerheads sold in California are required to be low flow. And this is John, a general contractor. John, thanks for that. They are. And yet, how many hotels have you stayed in, in California, which uses a low-flow showerhead? And how many homes have you been in where you've been a guest or you're, even your own home 
How many of those homes have low-flow shower heads? Uh, you know, I'm barely awake when I hop in the shower at a hotel. I couldn't tell you if it's low-flow or not. <laughs> well, if it's spitting at you, it's a low-flow. Right. But if it actually is a is a is sort of a gusher kind of a feeling, which is why hotel uh, hotels do that because they want to have the guest feel like they're in luxury. Yeah. So this abundance of water is 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 you know the selling point for the hotel. All right, we got a Garth and a Tascadero. Hi, Garth. Hey, gentlemen. How's Hi, it Garth. Going? Good. So what we're leaving out of the conversation here is um, the entire system of capitalism, and I know that. It's, to talk about capitalism in in this country is is shunned, and but we need to we need to get to that. You know, there's a quote by Michael Parente that says, "You know, the es- the essence of capitalism is to turn nature into commodities and commodities into capital. The live green earth is transformed into dead gold bricks with luxury items for the few and toxic slag heaps for the many." The glittering mansion overlooks a vast sprawl of shanty towns, wherein a desperate, demoralized humanity is kept in line with drugs, television, well, now it would be, you know, the Internet, and armed force. So to tackle this problem, we have to look at the whole system of capitalism. Capitalism is to blame. Bill? Well, capitalism is a system. So I can't blame capitalism itself. It's the human beings with, that inhabit the capitalistic system. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. I certainly understand your point. There's an encouragement to use more resources, to sell more product, to become wealthy, and to be successful. And some of that paradigm will remain, and some of that paradigm needs to be changed slightly so that we look at and realize that a good business, a good capitalistic business does not deplete the resources that it needs to actually function or be a business. So you're right to a point, but then it really comes down to being sensible as human beings, whether you're a business person exploiting your resources or you're a consumer. Garth? Well, I agree consumers do have a responsibility in this, but um, if you remember... Um, take, for instance, the ad that was, I think it was back in the 70s, where you have the, the Native American rowing his his boat down the river, and then, you know, they show somebody throwing, thr- yeah. throwing trash into the, so this was a, you know, this was a Keep America Beautiful um, ad. I mean, that was the group that was responsible for the ad. Right. And and the, the reason for this ad was to, um, manip- you know, it was manipulation by the corporations to put the onus on the individual. Now, individuals are responsible, but we have to take into account that 70% of greenhouse gas emissions are attributed to 100 fossil fuel producers. And so it, it's the system. It's, it's not individual humans that are going to change and save the planet. It, it's got to be the system being changed so 1% of the people don't control the whole system. I want to hear from Bill That's on not that. a good outcome. Bill? Well, the, the, the point I think that what I should say here is is there's we're in agreement, there's overlapping agreement, but I'm not necessarily willing to lay this all at the feet of capitalism or at the one percent or simply even of fossil fuels. It is we as consumers that make the choices. Businesses simply want to please us; they want to give us what we want. We have some choices to make. And those choices have to be with respect to the world that we live in and the world that provides for us. 
So I don't disagree with him, but I would take small issue with some of the, the where you're laying the blame. People are our government. Our government does not exist without people. And we can make these changes, and we have. That, that commercial, regardless of some of the uh, challenges behind it or the dramas behind it, was an incredibly effective commercial, probably one of the most effective commercials uh, since television came around. We're still, we're talking, still about talking about it yeah. 50 years ago. Absolutely. Garth? Well, um, you know, I take issue with you saying that, uh, that the government, uh, what did you say, the government is the people, and that's just not true anymore. The government is corporations. You know, there's been a corporate coup d'etat in the last 40 years. The population has lost. Corporations have won. It's over. Um, corporations control the political system. You know, and, and it, you know they they control everything. So, so we're, we're beyond, splitting hairs you know, here because system, don't forget that a corporation is a fictional person, but it is a, a real person that's making the choices behind that. And there are real people but, who are voting for legislation. If a corporation is a person, why, when a corporation poisons a river and a stream, nobody gets arrested within that corporation? You know, if an individual breaks a law, that individual gets arrested, goes through the legal process, and gets convicted. But the corporation never is happen, fine. It never happens with corporations Corp- because there's... But they're fine. <laughs> corporations are fined. They're punished. Yeah, yeah, but they're fined small, small little minuscule things that don't, in the scheme of things, don't even affect their bottom line. Yeah. So it's, there's, right. there's no accountability. All right, Garth, good exchange. Thank you for calling in. Any final thoughts for Garth, Bill? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, 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 we're, we're splitting hairs here a little bit because, again, a corporation is a fictitious, fictional person or a fictional person, it, in, and therefore it's impossible for the government, other than fining, to throw a fictional person in jail. On the Stolberg-Tatum text line, CRV tax, which is sales taxed, is a state revenue generator but does little to control the waste stream. There are literally no redemption centers anymore. Aluminum cans should ever be thrown away because the major energy cost is only to make the first can. I see tons of cans in the trash daily. Yeah, isn't that sad? I find it really disturbing. Like the other day, I was at the uh, the the dump down off of Broad, off two twenty seven, and I I had to uh, to get rid of some refuse from from my own place. And I went into essentially the general pile. And let's I I, I want to put the context here. Uh, it was a few years ago. I remember the statistic said that the the San Luis, Luis dump landfill took in seven hundred and fifty thousand tons of refuse and when i was up there uh, you know dumping our my refuse i noticed all kinds of bottles plastic and glass that didn't get recycled and it makes my heart hurt when i see that kind of uh, no let's just get rid of it over here all right we'll uh, come back for our final short segment bill ostrander we're live we're local this is hometown radio ABC Radio News at the top of the hour. Then Jim will update us on time saver traffic and weather together. And you'll meet the young couple who built a boat and they're sailing around the world. Quite the adventure. Meanwhile, we're wrapping things up with Mr. Bill Ostrander, who has certainly given us a lot to think about. Uh, you know, I got uh, I got about 90 seconds here, Bill. What do you want people to do? How do we take first steps on the road to a sustainable economy? 
Well, first of all, we got to lower consumption. We could spend money, we could raise tax dollars and blah, 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 and throw money at it. But the single biggest thing we can do is simply to reduce our footprint, both carbon and resources. And that can be such simple things. You don't always have to drive to the front of the parking lot. Just pull in the parking lot and pull in somebody and walk. It's better for your body, your health anyway. Don't use that electric gas driving around to get to the closest parking spot. You know, turn off appliances that you're not using. All those LED screens on all the appliances that we have in our houses nowadays are just tapping off small amounts of electricity. But we don't need them to turn on. We don't need to leave our lights on all night long. And don't forget that we're 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 wasting something like 40% of our food. Maybe we need to rethink a little bit about how much we're consuming, you know, food-wise, or whether or not we're just throwing stuff out. And if we are going to throw it out, are we going to compost it and put it back into the soils in our own yards? Mm. And instead of ripping up our yards and putting down stones, plant, plant, plant. Every square inch of soil is a place, an opportunity for a plant to put down roots, to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, to reduce the Earth's, Earth's warming, and to, to, to lock soils in place. We're losing four tons of topsoil uh, every year uh, for every person on the planet. We need to stop this erosion. There are so many things that we can do, and really what it is is becoming conscientious citizens of the planet. All right. Well said, Bill Ostrander. Thanks for joining us. Always appreciate the conversation. Off we go. We've got news and traffic and weather. Six o'clock hour of Hometown Radio starts now. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.